as I said, we have a little bit different service this morning, and I hope that it's it's one that uh, well, not only just that you understand, but also uh, one that you'll enjoy as we consider uh, the, the praise that was given to God for the Savior that came. Uh, we are not going to be looking at all of those chapters there, okay? But uh, we're going to be uh, considering uh, what we what we have looked at even the last couple of weeks. For the last two weeks, we've been celebrating the coming of the Christ child. We specifically celebrated his coming as we looked at how Jesus came into the world and why he came into the world. So it was specific about him uh, on the way, basically, and then when he arrived. Um, just to um, consider some of this, uh, Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to read that for you to, uh, again, give us a little bit more background here. And it says, and it came to pass, this is obviously after the things that we had just recently read about, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, and this is registered for tax purposes, right? Everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And again, that is what we celebrate this morning. So Christ came into the world by a virgin named Mary who was engaged to Joseph, who was of the family and the lineage of King David. The scriptures told us that God the Holy Spirit would cause her to conceive a child. This child will be called Jesus, Yeshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. He is the Son of God, the one who would fulfill the covenants of old and create an eternal kingdom. He would fulfill all of that. But he came to be the promised Savior. Jesus came to redeem people from sin. He would rescue them from the death penalty of offending a holy God. Jesus came not only to save those among the Jews, but he also would bring salvation to the Gentiles. And again, in the past, we looked at several prophecies that were fulfilled in him that were told about that taking place. So today we'll see how God was praised when Jesus came. We will actually begin at Mary's response to Gabriel announcing to her that she would give birth to the Son of God. So we're going to look right now at what I would, what I would say is Mary's song, Mary's praise, Mary's song of praise, however you want to look at that. Some consider this song to be a spontaneous response from Mary to the message from Gabriel. In other words, this wasn't something that she wrote later on. After he gave her this message, it just came out. Regardless, what we have is a praise song from a simple Jewish girl, quite possibly an older teenager, but one who knew the word of God. And we'll see that as we take a look at the different stanzas of her song. She sings from what she knows of the Lord and of the promises that he made to her people. In short, Mary believes God. 
if you notice, Zechariah was told that they were going to have a child, and he was like, I don't think so, right? So then he was basically stricken with, with muteness until the child came. That in and of itself was, was a, a sign, right? But Mary believed. So let's look at her song. And again, we're going to consider this one stanza at a time. So we're going to just take a look at this even from the screen here and read. And all I've done here is it, it's, it's divided into, into three stanzas. I'm sorry, three lines in each stanza. So all I've done is kind of color code this so you can see what we're going to be looking at each time. And so Mary said this in Luke chapter 1, verses 46, and then through just part of 48. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. So as we think about Mary's response to what the angel said to her, sorry, this is kind of embarrassing. It's very dry and my papers are sticking together. <laughs> the first theme we see here is God's grace. Mary's purpose was to magnify the Lord. Another way of saying this is to, is to make God great. Now, she isn't making God himself greater. Instead, she's magnifying or making our view of God bigger through her words of praise. You see the difference? She's not increasing the value of God. She's helping us understand what it is. So she's, she's increasing his greatness in our eyes. And then what's interesting here is that she says that it says that her soul and her spirit are involved in this. There are parallel thoughts here. Maggie, Maggie, I don't know where they came from. <laughs> wow. Mary is praising God for her innermost, from her innermost person. That's where this is coming from. This is heartfelt. You guys are going to get over that for a while, are you? Uh, she rejoices in God, my Savior. Again, this is the response of, of what the angel had told her. The first reason for praise is because God has given her favor, even though she comes from an underprivileged background. She, she looks at herself. She says, I'm, I'm, I'm in a lowly state, right? I, I'm nobody. This wasn't false humility. The second reason is because she understands from that point on that she uh, that people will consider her blessed for having the privilege of being the mother of the Son of God. That's what Elizabeth said, right? Yeah, I, it's amazing. You're, you're carrying God's Son. Amen. As we look at the second stanza of what Mary said, we see God's power, His holiness, and His mercy reflected here. As I read for you, the second part of verse 48 through verse 50. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary continues here by contrasting her past with her future because of God's favor upon her. She acknowledges God's power on her, on her behalf. Mary also recognizes that God is holy. This might seem kind of odd. You know, why, why would she bring in God's holiness to all this? But again, she is just magnifying God for us. She's helping us understand who he is. 
and and th- again, this is not something that she just spoke out and sang because she thought it would be recorded. Okay, this this was just this praise that flowed out of her, and one of the things that touched her heart was the holiness of God. But she then declared the purpose of Christ's coming to give mercy to all who fear him in each generation, to all who fear the Lord. Folks, I think there's a few lessons to take away from this particular stanza. First, it takes an all-powerful God to be able to fulfill, and I'm going to remind you what that is in a moment, Romans 8.28. What does that tell us? And we know that all things work together for good to those who, got, who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. Now think about this for a minute. Whether there be one believer in a million, or a billion believers among seven billion, God works out his will in every believer's life. That's mind-boggling. But Mary is saying, God has specifically been merciful to me. This was personal to her. And so that is what we need to understand. God is an all-powerful God, and he is working on our behalf. We need to acknowledge how God's power is exercised every day of our lives. Areas like his protection, his provision, trials, encouragement, correction, guidance, and forgiveness. Interacting with his word and his spirit working through that. And giving us opportunities for good works. This is just a few things to consider as we think of every person that God is working with. And really even the entire world, right? I mean, ultimately it comes down to the scriptures tell us that Christ himself holds the world together. So an almighty God is working our behalf and Mary recognized that. Second, God is holy completely set apart from sin. Yet at the same time, God somehow intervenes in our lives on a very personal basis again, just as he showed himself to Mary. He's separate from sin, but yet he's engaged with us. And then third, and really this is why, Mary talks about his him being merciful. God is merciful to all who are his. The term all those who fear him in this context is equivalent to all who have saving faith. Just like Abraham or David would have feared God. He's talk, she's talking about those who are his. Now let's look at stanza three. Coming from Luke 1, verses 51 through 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Folks, this is talking about God's justice. Mary strongly referenced two contrasting groups. First, she proclaims the Lord demonstrates his strength by overcoming the proud and the mighty. There isn't anyone on this earth that is above the Lord. No one is going to come out on top doing things their own way Living a sinless life, rejecting him, is not going to happen. Mary then affirms that God feeds the hungry. This is particularly speaking of satisfying spiritual hunger. 
This too comes from God displaying his strength to us. And then we're going to look at the last stanza here, Luke 1, verses 46. I think I had that right. Verses 54 to 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Folks, this is God's faithfulness. The last stanza is all about the Lord fulfilling his covenant with Abraham and his people. He talked more, we talked more about this last week, but we need to recognize that the coming of the Messiah was God being true to his word. He was fulfilling what he said he would do. So as we finish considering Mary's song, let's remind ourselves that she is seeking to confess and magnify the greatness of God. Mary is celebrating the message that she will be the mother of the Messiah. She can't help but break out in praise to the Lord. And ultimately, her song is in praise of what God will accomplish through Jesus, whose name means Jehovah is salvation. So this particular song did not happen, this particular praise did not happen on uh, the day of Christ's birth, but it was all about the day of Christ's birth. So now let's get back to where we finished Last week, in a lot of different ways, where the angel proclaimed to, um, to the shepherds uh, about the coming Messiah, or about the Messiah who had come. So we're going to look at the angel's praise. Again, last week, we described the earlier part of the story, Christ's birth. Mary had just delivered, and an angel of the Lord announced the birth of the Savior to a group of shepherds guarding, guarding their flocks at night. So let's read that part of Luke's account Uh, If you're still in your Bibles there in Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read for you verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Now there was in the same country shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child." And all those who heard it marveled at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So I have up on the screen here, Luke chapter 2, just verses 8 through 10, just so that you see that, see that as I explain this for a little bit. This angel appeared standing right, uh, right in front of them. Correct? That's what it says. The angel radiated 
like Moses' face after he had met with God on Mount Sinai. Right? That was that residual glory of God that the people were actually afraid of. Well, this, this wasn't just an afterburner, right? This was God's glory with him, with this angel. It was an awesome sight. And again, we mentioned last week, these men were terrified. By the way, let's think about this for a minute. The shepherds had faced the elements. They lived out in the countryside. They had probably faced large predators protecting their flocks. Their occupation would have toughened them, but they were overwhelmed by the sight of this one angel. Now imagine their emotions after the angel finished announcing the Christ child's birth to them. They, they were just overwhelmed. Well, then suddenly, as we see in the text here, in a flash, angels appear. The word used is multitude, a multitude of heavenly hosts. This is similar to Jesus feeding the multitude as far as how this word is used. They, when he fed the multitude in one account, there were 5,000 men plus women and children who came to hear him speak. When Jesus was betrayed in the garden, Peter lashed out with his sword and Jesus told Peter to put his sword away and said to him that he could have summoned 12 legions of angels. A Roman legion amounted to about 6,000 troops. So it's safe to say that thousands of angels suddenly appeared before these men. Now we should keep in mind that heavenly host is a parallel thought to one of God's names, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, plural. So this was a heavenly host that appeared. God is the Lord of hosts. Hosts, multiple. It's a military term describing God as the commander of his armies of angels. So this is one host or army of the Lord appearing at the announcement of the birth of Christ the King. But where did they appear? We tend to think, and pictures display, that they are in some distant sky, right? And the sky is full of these angels. But they appeared with the angel. Now, folks, I, I tend to take things fairly literally, all right, from the scriptures here. Where was the first angel? Standing right in front of them. So I really believe that thousands of angels appear looking just like the first angel. And I picture them all around, surrounding these men and all sides Yes, there probably were some over them. But my point is, I don't think this was just this distant sight that lit up the sky. I, I think that this was something that took place all around them. This would have been absolutely overwhelming. We have a similar scene in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 5. And I want to read for you the Revelation 5 account. It's in verses 11 and 12, just taking that piece out of there. It says, this is from heaven, obviously. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them, speaking specifically of the angels, right, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Folks, this was the ancient way of saying, you can't count them. 
It was just this myriad of angels before the throne. So in one sense, we have one army of them, but a brilliant army announcing to just a few shepherds that the Messiah was come. And by the way, let's look at what they say. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, Christ himself, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So here they are in heaven doing the same thing they're doing on earth. They're praising the Lord. Because that is exactly what the angels did. They praised God. This was their response to the announcement of Christ's birth. So before we get to what they said in praise, let's consider how they praise God. I must confess that I was one of those people when I would hear Christmas songs sung like Hark the Herald Angels Sing or What Child Is This or The First Noel, I would think to myself, well, the Bible doesn't actually say that they sang, right? And I'll admit, even in my younger days, I would kind of feel smarter than people who wrote those songs, right? But you know, as, as I was studying this out, the vast majority of the resources indicate that the praise of the angels was actually in song. It's, it's just, according to what they're saying, it's what the language was. Which is why I believe that so many people smarter than me reference that the angels sang. So I learned something, right? But what did this angel army sing? First, they sang Glory to God in the highest. We're going to look at that glory to God part first. The angels are worshiping the God by ascribing glory to him. A glory that no living person has ever experienced fully. But the angels are in his very presence. Right? Who else would be best to express the glory of God himself than the angels who are in his presence? So this amazing spectacle is nothing in comparison to the glory of God himself, right? In other words, what they're seeing with these angels and everything that's going on, yes, they're representing the glory of God, but the true glory of God himself, right? Actually being in his presence is nothing. They are actually glorifying him. And then they say glory to God in the highest, I'm sure that the angels are describing a, I'm not sure I should say, that the angels are describing a place or location as much as a station that is far above their own. God is everywhere. Angels, although powerful spirit beings, are still finite creatures. The angels are ascribing to God a greatness that is beyond all. Now remember, here's these men that are completely overwhelmed with the scene that they are seeing. What the angels are saying is, glory to God in the highest. I mean, there, there is something that goes way beyond what you're experiencing right now. Amen. It's God himself. Right. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's the praise that's coming from the angels. Amen. And then... It says, and this is going to sound a little different to you at first. It says, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, the second phrase that I said to you doesn't sound like the New King James Version that I read, which says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Folks, I, I got to make this simple, but long before 
the modern translations came along. In other words, folks that have studied this way before the 1940s, 50s, 60s, when some of these modern translations took place, they saw that the King James translators did not translate this well. All right? Now, that doesn't mean that something wrong with the Word of God. Okay? We believe in the original autographs here. But there was something that came out of the English that just wasn't quite as accurate as it should have been. What it really should read is what I read to you. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's, it's, it's how the words are arranged. It's, it's, it's how we emphasize them. And what it really comes down to is this. Is that it wasn't this pronouncement that peace has come upon the earth because Jesus came. Have we experienced peace since Jesus came? No. But it's peace. It's peace for those that God has favored. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Your soul. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if your confidence is in what he, ha- is, is in what he has done for you, are you in turmoil about where you're headed? Are you fighting with God? Are you still his enemy? Or is there peace? That is what the angels proclaimed. And so we see this extreme heavenly focus on praising God. But then we see this amazing act that he has done for us. He has brought peace. That's what Christ brought. He brought peace to the soul of those that God is going to shine his grace on. And somehow, even though these things seem to contrast, they go together. This is their song. The indescribably great God of the universe has brought peace to the people of his grace. Which then leaves us with the shepherd's praise. There's a little bit to go before we actually get to their praise, a little more to the story, and I want to cover that. But after this dramatic supernatural announcement of the birth of of the, of the Christ, the shepherds did what only what any one of us would have done. Any one of us. So let's translate the words of the shepherds into the language that we might use today, right? And, and I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, okay? But did did we really just see that? <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, we, we're all in agreement. Like none of us were dreaming. This actually happened. That was intense, and that was amazing. You heard what the angel told us, and you, yeah, yeah, I did. You, you heard that too, right? Yes. We need to go and see what the angel told us about. We need to go see the infant Messiah, our promised Savior, listen to this, lying in a feed trough. That's what the message was of the angels. We are told they went down to Bethlehem as quickly as they could. Notice, they were no longer worried about their sheep. (laughs) They had much more important things to do. The Lamb of God was waiting for them. So they found the Christ, and as far as we know, they were the first and exclusive witnesses to baby Jesus immediately after his arrival. What a privilege. The first response of the shepherds is like so many who encountered Christ Later in his life, after they saw Jesus, they basically went and told the whole town 
how the angels announced the birth of the long-awaited Savior, Christ the Lord. Folks, I don't know how long they stayed at what we would call the manger scene. I, I, I don't know, you know, maybe it would have been tough to pull themselves away as they're just gazing on Jesus and looking at every movement. Or maybe he was just sleeping and they're like, this is the Christ. He's come, right? But at some point, they left. Many speculate it was when morning came or sometime soon after that. So what did they do? Did you notice exactly what the scripture said here? It said what they, what they did was they would make widely known. They must have walked around town and just talked to everybody that was around, that they could see and tell them what they saw. Now, think about this. What did they say? Did they say, well, this angel appeared before us and he was like, and then finished that description. Or all of a sudden, in this instant, that we were surrounded by thousands of angels beaming with radiance. It was just so awesome, right? Actually, we don't have them talking about their experience with the messengers. That's not what they share. What they told the people was the same thing that the angels told them. That's what the scriptures tell us. An angel told us that our Savior, Messiah the Lord, has come, born here today. He's over in that livestock shed, or maybe in a small cave, over in that part of town. That's what they were telling people. So the word says... Remember, these, these shepherds were astonished at the messengers. But what really stuck was the message. That's what they shared with people around them. And the word says uh, uh, f- further that the people marveled at or were amazed by what these shepherds told them. But it probably wasn't a good kind of marveling. This was that kind of amazement or shock of a neighbor knocking at your door at three in the morning saying that a spaceship has landed in, in their yard and just left. Okay? That's how people would have been responding to them. So, what would you just say? Like, God the Son is over with the animals lying in the feed trough? Think of how fantastic that would have sounded to just a normal everyday person who wasn't thinking about the fact that Messiah was coming. So think about this. At this point, the shepherds have been up all night. They had just told everyone they could, could uh, find about what the angels told them. So what did they do next? That's the latter part of the passage there. Luke chapter 20, 2, sorry, verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now, I really believe that that heard and seen, the reason why it's in that order is because they had heard about the Christ and then they had seen Christ. It wasn't what they had seen and heard. That's not a small order difference. 
So they went back to their work. They went back to normal everyday life of watching over their sheep. And they glorified and praised God. This means, again, to exalt or elevate, to celebrate, and to speak words of honor and admiration. All of these things. That's what they were about. They went back to the normal routine, but their lives would never be the same. It's like, it's like when something amazing happens to you, and you kind of go back to work or school or whatever you normally do, and all of a sudden you just start thinking about it again. And then you think about it again. And then you think about it again, well, only for them... They were just expressing their praise to God, right? I mean, I mean, it sounds silly, but, you know, maybe they walked over and, you know, whacked a sheep on the nose. Hey, get back in line here, all right? Or, or, you know, whatever. And they just magnify the Lord. Praise God. And that's what they were doing. That's what they were all about. So where does that leave us? Let's think about a few things here. First off, Mary's beautiful song of praise was a heartfelt response to being chosen as the one who would give birth to the Messiah. In her song, she looked ahead to Jesus fulfilling God's promise of salvation. The angels proclaimed the glory of God in the highest when they announced that Jesus had come. So as we think of the shepherds, let's just use a little bit of imagination here for a moment as we consider their response. This was a group of shepherds, uh, so let's la- randomly choose the number five to represent them, just because. Do you think it's possible at least one of those shepherds had a relationship issue? Just, just something going on in their life with somebody else that wasn't good, wasn't, wasn't set right? Do you think these shepherds were holier than other people around them? If you remember last week, we were told that shepherds didn't have the greatest reputations. Is it possible that one of them had lost someone close to them? Maybe one was frustrated with their job or other life situation. Might one be concerned about one of their kids or grandkids? Maybe one of them even had money issues. I say all that to say this. What if we chose five random people in our audience today? How many would fit into at least one of these situations that I described? Probably all five of you. Something would fit your life. Folks, the shepherds were people who lived in another time, but they were probably an awful lot like us. Just kind of regular, ordinary people with regular, ordinary issues. We see they returned to normal life, but they were different. They were different because they had been with the Christ. Their response was that they told other people about Jesus, and they were full of praise because they had seen what they had been told about. Right? They had seen And they had been told about Jesus. Folks, where are you? Does all of this fit you? A normal everyday person 
But do you live differently because you've been with Christ? Our lives should reflect the life of Mary and even the angels and these regular working class guys that watch sheep all day. Just be different because we know Jesus. Tell other people and praise God for who he is. I believe that all of this praise that we read about is simply a response of who Jesus is. That's all we're expected to be doing in our lives, folks. Glorifying him. Glorifying him because things are different now. Yeah, we're kind of getting back to work, so to speak. Work, school, all those other things, they're, they're, they're not going to change. But we have. And maybe it's, something that you actually need to do. You need to respond to the Savior. Your life hasn't changed because you don't know him. We would love to share him with you today. So now what we're going to do as Ed comes, I'm just going to pray in just a moment here, is we're going to take and give back to God the praise that, that only should go to him because of this wonderful gift that we have in Christ, the gift of the Savior that we celebrate this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do celebrate your goodness, and we ask that even as we um, speak to you now through song, that you'll be glorified in all that we do. We thank you, Lord, for even just the, the, those who have um, uh, created these songs and done these things for us. And we uh, thank you that we can reflect these words to you. In Jesus' name, amen.